2: And I'm Stephanie Everett, and this is episode 341 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, I'm talking with Zach Laser about how to conduct a tech audit for your business.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by Text Expander, PostAli, and Rankings.io. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned, and we'll tell you more about them later on.
2: So, Erin, people may not realize we're going to be talking about technology today, and if people are in the market for technology, we actually have some pretty cool resources for them on our website, lawyerist.com.
1: Yeah, it's a weird conversation to be having with you because having worked at Lawyerist now for 12 years, I am intimately familiar with everything that's on our website and every resource we offer, but it sometimes doesn't occur to me that It's useful for us to remind, say, podcast listeners of what are all of the things that Lawyerist has to offer to help small law firms. And I'm confident that many listeners know, but maybe not all, that Lawyerist is home to the most comprehensive set of technology product and service reviews for all of the products and services that a small law firm needs to manage and grow successfully, um, whether that's law practice management software or bookkeeping and accounting services or marketing and SEO agencies. We've got robust editorial and user peer user reviews for all of those tools to help you figure out what the right things for your practice are. And today's conversation with Zach isn't going to talk about the resources on our website, but as you think about auditing kind of the technology tools you use or what's often called your technology stack in your firm that may reveal some opportunities for you to improve efficiency or operations or profitability by leveraging more or different tools than you currently are. And our site should be your first stop to figuring out which vendors to work with.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was a little bit of a mouthful, but in short order, if you're thinking of outsourcing or adding some tech or pretty much any service provider to your firm, you should head to our site because what I love about it is, of course, we give you reviews of all the different, you know, tools out there and what you can use them for, but we also teach you how to think about hiring this person. So, like, just even take virtual receptionists as an example. Like, we go through what are all the features different virtual receptionists offer, and Here's the questions you should ask, and here's how you should be thinking about this product and how it fits into your business. And so it's so super valuable and really is just packed with great information.
1: So, as soon as you're done with hearing this interview with Zach, head on over to lawyerist.com and check those out. And now we have Stephanie's conversation about tech with our own Zach Glazer.
3: Hey, y'all, it's Zach, and I am the legal tech advisor slash reformed athletic field builder here at Lawyerist. And today we're talking about your legal tech stack audit.
2: I'm excited for this conversation because I know everybody, they just get overwhelmed by their tech, right? Either they hate tech and they don't want to think about it and they just kind of do the bare minimum, or they love tech and then they buy lots of tech and then they don't know how it all works. (laughs) Together.
3: Oh yeah, it, yeah. It's it's either I don't know what this does, or I've got the shiny object syndrome, and I am going to grab everything and and put it together as best I can. Which plenty of people operate their their practices either one of those ways successfully every every day, but not efficiently.
2: So let's yeah. talk about this. So this idea of a tech audit. So first off, what is it?
3: We all use a lot of technology in our practices, and it's growing what feels day-to-day. So we've got law practice management systems. We've got email systems. We've got websites that we have to take care of. Some of us have virtual assistants. We have ways of making our, our documents. And all of these things add up. And when you first start, you can easily keep them in your head and know how they fit together. But at the end of the day, we've all got a lot of the same basic systems that we need serviced buy software that we have. There's a lot of software out there that can do these things. So doing a tech audit is saying, what software do I have? What needs do I have? And how do those align with each other? And then what do I need to do with that going forward?
2: Besides just like assessing what we currently have and maybe what we need, are there other benefits to doing this?
3: We talk a lot at Lawyers about our our values for our company. What are our values? Where are we going with our company? What do we want this company to do? And if you simply look at your technology here and there, or you say, oh, man, I need e-signature software. I got to go get it now. And you just go get it. And you don't remember if you have Adobe sign. You don't remember if you have DocuSign. You've got six different ones. And so you're not doing anything intentionally. And you're certainly not grabbing your technology and wielding it with a purpose with intent, with an idea of how you want to build your firm. For example, if you want to be a totally remote firm, then you need to get technology that's going to make you specifically remote and use it in a way that allows you to do that as opposed to somebody that's that's going to have their office in a big, tall building and, and wants to make sure that they're doing things well for that type of office if either one of those people just goes out and gets technology that their neighbor is using, they're not going to be using it to their best potential and they're not going to be using it to help their firm grow.
2: All right. How often should someone do a tech audit for their firm?
3: That's a tough question, just because you should kind of almost constantly be doing it in the back of your head. But I would say probably a recorder. When you do reassessments of your firm. When you take a moment to step back and do your quarterly assessments or quarterly audits and and things like that, add this into that. And it doesn't have to be the lawyer that does this tech audit. Frankly, that's probably not the best person if you have a, a decent sized firm to be doing this technology audit because they're not using all the technology. Have somebody That is designated to keep track of this technology, to keep track of the features that you that you need, that you have and that you're deprecating and have them report to you every three months. Have them be part of that assessment every three months.
2: I mean, we recently did this on our team because we had gotten some new tools along the way and it turned out we were paying for two tools that did the exact same thing and maybe even three. Mm -hmm. And it was like, wait a minute what if we turned this one off? Are we still getting the functionality we need over here? And it turned out the answer was absolutely yes. And so it saves some money, right? Okay, now we have a subscription we don't need. But I think more importantly, because a lot of people just think in terms of, oh, well, that's not very much. I'm paying 19 bucks per whatever month for that tool. What's the big deal? But it also just saves time. It saves energy of us thinking about having to update that, of having to make sure... There's human cost that goes into keeping up with your technology.
3: Yeah, and I think that's a good point is that it's not about the price, although most law firms out there probably have multiple things that either are doing the same thing or have the, the same capabilities. Microsoft 365, as it's known now, has so many capabilities. If you have that and other things, you likely are duplicating technologies. But it's more about being able to look at your technology and say, how do we deal with it? How do we make sure it's secure? How do we make sure that we're using it appropriately? If you've got 16 different systems or or pieces of software, well, then it's very difficult to dig into how to use this piece of software very well. Whereas if you kind of can break it down to as few as is reasonable, don't use too few, but as few as is reasonable, then it's easier to kind of get your hands around it to, to wield it appropriately.
2: All right. What's the first step that we're going to take when we do this audit?
3: Write it down. (laughs) And it is two things. One is, what are your procedures? And I think that here at Lawyerist, we're always talking about writing our procedures down, writing our workflows, what are our processes, what are our systems and practices. So have your handy documentation there and go through it and say, okay, well, what are the things that I need from technology? What are the features that I'm going to need from everything? I'm going to need email. I'm going to need that email to be secure. I'm going to need e-signature. I'm going to need something that that deals with my calendar. All of those things should go into, I'd say, a spreadsheet. Then let's list what technologies we have in the columns. So our features are in the rows. Our technologies are in the columns. And we figure out what takes care of those things. Yeah. So that's one way to do it. And there are other ways of setting these things up in a way that you can understand, but it is really about writing all this down and determining where those two things come together.
2: And I mean, as you're talking about it, what you said totally makes sense. And I appreciate that's how your mind works. I'll share that for me, I think about writing the tools down first and then maybe thinking Mm -hmm. through which problems or features are these tools kind of solving Because I think it would be it'd be hard for me to sit here and say, "Oh, I need email. I need," but that's just how my mind works. Where I could look even at my QuickBooks or Zero and be like, "What am I paying for?" Right? Because sometimes we have. That's an interesting way to approach it too. Because somebody on your team may have purchased something you don't even know what it's doing. Which you're just (laughs) like, "Wait, we have that tool? I didn't even know we were using that."
3: That's a good point because one of the best ways to figure out what all you're using might be to go back through. Your bank statements for the year because some of these things are, are purchased for, for a year in advance. But going back through your bank statements and saying, Well, what have we bought? Yeah. Is it still there? Are we even using it? That's one of the bigger questions. Is okay, we bought this piece of software. Does anybody use this software anymore?
2: Oh yeah. You just reminded me I, I bought something a couple weeks ago and it has a thirty day trial period and it actually I don't like it at all and I need to cancel it. So I'm gonna make a note.
3: Set an alarm. Yes. But that's one of the things that I run into is that you have a problem that you have to solve and you go and research it as quickly as possible. And this problem has to be solved very quickly. E-signature, for example, I've got to get this signed now. And so you go take the easiest path. doesn't matter what it costs. Sometimes it's faster just to get new software than it is to go figure out how to use your old software. Well, that's fine. You, You made that decision, but get rid of it. When it's time to, get rid of it when you do an assessment and say, okay, well, nobody uses this software anymore. So let's be done with it.
2: And so once we have our list, so we've got all the tools we're using, anyone in the firm is using because we've searched through those bank records and realized there's four new tools that we didn't even remember purchasing. And then you've got all the features and what problems it's solving. What next? How are we stepping back and and what kind of things do we want to think about to make this effective?
3: What value does this tool bring to you? obviously it's got its feature. Is it serving its purpose appropriately? And then I usually put things into kind of three categories, obviously deprecate, don't even worry about this thing is awesome. We're keeping it. And then the third is just review. And that can mean a lot of things. It's review to see if it can do other things, review to see if we need to limit the amount of stuff we we do, but figure out how well this tool is actually working for you and keep track.
2: Yeah. And one of the things I know we ask on our tech audit that may be the one that we use in our with our Labsters is, is everyone on the firm sufficiently trained on it? And I love that question because mm-hmm. it could very well be that one person knows how to use it amazingly well, and it actually does a lot of things for you, but it's just that people don't know how to use it. And so they're under using the tool.
3: That actually kind of gets into a different thing. I think that's a wonderful question to ask, but that goes into how open to technology changes is your office. Do you have people that can handle technology changes all the time, all the time, never, sometimes when you want to. So assessing some of these tools, you do have to kind of keep in the back of your mind who uses it. Is that correct? And why don't they use it? Does somebody not use this particular style of email server because they're not comfortable with it, because they don't know anything about it or because it doesn't work for them. So I, I think that's a wonderful question to ask.
2: I'm struggling a little bit because I'm. Oh, it's frustrating when people don't do the things the way we want them to do it. And I th- we've had this struggle before in our community where people are like, look, I want to be this tech forward firm and I've got someone on my team and they just refuse to use this piece of technology or they refuse to learn something new. And so you almost end up with a real values mismatch, right?
1: I
3: I think that's the thing is it it gets to the right butt, right seat. Is this person appropriate for your firm? And this is why you have to do your values before you do your tech audit, because you have to figure out where you want to go. If this doesn't fit into your values, if you want to be a firm that treats their employees a particular way, well, then maybe you don't do the tech. But if you want to be a firm that's tech forward and somebody is keeping you from doing that, maybe you need to evaluate whether they're the right person. But it definitely gets into what are your values and do they fit with everybody?
2: So then are there other questions that we want to consider as part of this process?
3: I like to kind of make a determination. And this is kind of a holistic thing of how complex is this system and can we handle it? If you... If you start to automate too many things, if you start to bring in too much technology, too many pieces of software, then things get extremely complex and you wind up having six different things open on your screen every day and things get lost. So is adding a piece of technology going to be a benefit to you? We all want features. We all want these things that that we think we can do. Is it something that is necessary? Is it something that's going to actually bring you value? Is your office going to like it? Are your clients going to like it? Or is it just something that you're doing for the sake of doing it, which can be fine sometimes, but does it bring value to you? Does the actual feature, the actual thing you're trying to do?
2: And do you try to quantify that value in terms of time saved or cost saved or?
3: You can certainly. And I think everybody's going to, going to do that differently, but I, I think. A lot of times I look at it in terms of time saved, but you can get into headaches saved. I've had things that take the same amount of time when I was running my office that took the same amount of time, but it was just less frustrating to do for my assistants to do. And that has a lot of value. But if you're just doing something for the sake of doing it, and I think we can spot those things a lot of times, then you're kind of going to the well when you don't need to, because there is a threshold your office no we're not using any more technology we're not changing we're not shifting to that we're not going to do this and you're going to have a, a revolt on your hands and so unless it has value you're kind of digging into that well right there
2: yeah that resonates all right we're going to take a quick break we got to hear from our sponsors and when we come back i want to dig into a little bit more about what we're going to do as a result of this audit
3: support for today's episode comes from rankings.io a search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, Rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible and rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of the Google search results. Personal Injury Lawyer SEO is all they do so all of their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus, so Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. They're an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit Rankings.io forward slash to get started. It's hard to keep up with trends when you're rushing to court and helping clients, but new cases hinge on topping the results page. You need a marketing partner to keep you informed and your firm growing. That partner is Postali, and you should know about Google local service ads. LSAs connect you with folks searching for nearby legal services. LSAs show up at the top of the page, higher than maps and other listings. And the best part, you only pay if you're contacted through the ad. Appearing when somebody searches for lawyers near me has never been easier or more affordable, letting you focus on the law. LSAs are a great addition to existing PPC efforts or a standalone initiative. Quickly initiated by the Postali team, LSAs and a partnership with Postali can get your firm where it belongs. To learn more about LSAs and Postali's services, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates. Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Take your time back and increase your productivity. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit TextExpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander.
2: All right, Zach. So we're back in. And- We've done the audit. We've asked all the questions. And so now what?
3: Low hanging fruit. That's where you start. It. It. You want to start with that big chunk. You want to start with that thing that's been picking at you that that you've wanted to get rid of. Start with the low hanging fruit. The things that you go, well, that's duplicative and I can get rid of that and I don't like that. Or this is something that's been, you know, on our minds. Start there. And iterate through this list. I I like to prioritize these things as high value, medium value, low value. And then I also put a how difficult is it to do? That doesn't give you a complete score, but it gives you an idea of, okay, well, this is high value, really simple to do, low-hanging fruit.
2: Yeah. When people are thinking about making a change, because, I mean, we get this a lot. Sometimes people get frustrated with their software, law practice management systems for lots of reasons, and it seems to be once they get annoyed, you know, we have really weird personal relationships with our practice management software as lawyers. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe do. lawyers in our community do, but I feel like I hear it a lot. But something gets in their crawl and they're thinking that they need to make a change. How should they be thinking about the opportunity cost maybe is the right, what what's the right term If there's a real cost to changing your team's platform and I think we all know that, but it's hard to really quantify that and make that a part of our decision of whether we should change or stay with what we have. And how do you think about that?
3: It's going to be two to three times more difficult than you think it is to change a platform. The first thing I say to people most of the time when we're talking about law practice management systems specifically is the best law practice management system is the one that your client information is already in because you're going to have to shift that but not only are you going to have to do that but you're going to have to you have to plan this this is a rollout you know if it's simple technology if it's just switching to a different signing technology there's not quite as much of a rollout but you need to work in multiple weeks of training people on this of build up to hey guys we are going to switch this you have to plan this you can't just walk in on a friday and say hey everybody monday we're switching from Law practice management system, A, the law practice management system. And it's always going to be at least two to three times more difficult than you than you think it is. So unless you have a specific thing that you need to solve, it's generally not worth the trouble of changing technology, adding technology, maybe even manipulating technology and shifting it around a little bit. That's one thing, but changing some of your core systems to another one. Unless you have something that it specifically cannot do and the pain is worth that thing that you're going to gain, then I I wouldn't do it. But you have to know what your gain is.
2: Super helpful because I think it's easy to gloss over and you just think, oh, it's going to be so much better. And there's, I mean, everyone always promises a smooth transition. Um, Let's face it, the salespeople are very well trained. So, of course, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, your data will migrate. It will be fine. Oh, it feels like something always gets messed up in the process, though.
3: (laughs) Right. I mean, nobody's data, underlying data is going to look the same. And so you're going to be involved in the process more than you expect to be. It's going to take longer than you expect to. You're going to you're not necessarily going to lose data, but data is going to go to places where you didn't expect it to be. And then again, you have to train your staff on how to use this thing. For an extended period of time. So you're going to have a period of time where you're running at 20% efficiency and then you've gone to 30%, 40 and and you build back up, but you're going to lose a ton of efficiency if you're changing something fundamental, something in that kind of core of your legal tech stack, which is your project management, your client management, or your matter management.
2: Yeah, that that makes sense. I think it's important for people to realize. I mean, I brought up the training before, so you can tell this is where my mind goes But I know as a user of programs, when we switched to a new program a couple of years ago now, I don't remember how long, it takes me a couple of months of using it. And so I always feel like those initial trainings are kind of not complete throwaways because you need to know how to like Mm -hmm. open stuff up and figure out the basics. But it's not until Mm -hmm. you use it for a couple of months that you really can then go into the next level. And then a few months later, you're okay, now I'm ready to to do even more with this and then maybe even more. So I, I do think if you haven't, taken some trainings or, or in, and softwares are they're always updating and we have new features and new right. things and so it's worth going back and kind of taking a look at what you have with fresh eyes because maybe it's solving problems you didn't even realize it could solve and and you don't need something new you just need you just need what you have in a different way
3: but that gets to a very good point of not doing enough training on our current systems and so we move to something else. A lot of times we, we go, Oh, this won't do this. So we throw our hands up and, and move on and we say, well, this person, our neighbor has been using this in a, in a phenomenal way. And I, I want my stuff to work like that. When in reality, all we had to do was go and get solid training on Microsoft 365 or on any of these systems, because they do more than you, than you think many times. I usually caution people to not jump out of something before they've really dug into what, what are its abilities. That person that keeps track of your stack audit, they can also keep an eye on, are there more functionalities in this system now? Do we need to go do a training for, for our staff? Because that tech audit, again, is going to tell you who uses this, how it's used, how important it is in your system. So a, a product that that you see on that tech audit that is extremely important and used by a lot of people do systematic trainings of that. Every product offers a training and if they don't, they will still train you. Yeah, They they will do it. They want you to use their product. So it it is very easy to say, Oh, I I don't like this. I I don't think it works very well. And then move on before we actually dig into, dig into what it is.
2: Yeah. And sometimes they'll make that feature request because I mean, a lot of the companies and especially legal tech companies, They're not so big that they won't listen. They like hearing from you and hearing what you want and how you want the tool to work. And if they can, they'll put it on their roadmap. And if enough people all request the same things, for sure it happens. I mean, I see that all the time in with our community Mm -hmm. and with the software they're using. So for sure, be vocal about what it is you want and what you need. And maybe the response, this happened to me once. You'll appreciate, actually, your friends were there when I was working for the incubator that we started for law firms. (laughs) we went to a hackathon and we were like, okay, here's what we need. We need this big problem solved. And we thought we were being so smart at this hackathon and all the guys were like, yeah, that exists. You just don't know how to use the thing you already have. And so instead of doing a hackathon and staying up all night, building us a new tool, they actually just, I mean, they did a couple of tweaks. It was still great, but it was, um, But anyway, they solved it, and then they showed us. We were like, oh, we didn't even know this thing did that thing. And So it was not a very successful hackathon because they were able to (laughs) to not build anything new and solve everybody's problems. I mean, it was successful in that way, but you know what I mean.
3: You know, honestly, that gets into how I think of building these tools. You know, your tech audit, I don't think of it as a list of disparate tools that exist. I think of it as a schematic of a machine. You're building your machine that is your law practice. And so if you go in there and the hackathon is to make this thing connect to this other thing with the API, and the answer is, well, this thing already does that. That's awesome. We've made the machine better. And a lot of times that's the answer is how do we get this? How do we get product A to work better with product B? Sometimes it's very simple, but we have to go in and actually ask people about it. We have to be able to to say, this is our problem. Not only this is our problem, but these are the features that would solve our problem. Because if we don't verbalize those, then we've got this kind of amorphous idea in the back of our head. And, and that's very difficult to solve.
2: Yeah. And so if you do end up doing this audit and realizing that there's a tool out there, a feature out there that you really do need because you need to solve this problem. Luckily, you've already done a wonderful podcast for us where you walked through for everyone how to think about purchasing that new tech and and what you need to go through and answering that. So we won't cover that today, but we'll make sure we refer to that podcast. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but we'll get it in the show notes.
3: I'm sure it's, if you just search Zach Glazer, it's going to come up. It's, I'm sure it's famous.
2: Yes, for sure. One of our most sought after (laughs) podcast downloads of all time. Zach, always super helpful to talk to you. I always learn something new and I hope what everyone's taken away from this is the, it doesn't have to be complicated, but we do have to be intentional with it. And so that starts with knowing what you have and why you have it. And it sounds so easy, but it's just really as simple as getting it out and making sure you know what that list is so that you can start evaluating it smartly.
3: That's exactly right. Because if you don't have something that you can write down, then you have, you've dealt with that feature by default. You've dealt with the feature one way or the other, but you've dealt with it by default. And that's generally not a good way to do it.
0: All right, thanks, Zach. The Lawyerist podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the small firm roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com/book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com/community/lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.